This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's time for another exciting episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast brought to you by Wild Edge Incorporated and Bowhunter Box Club. I'm your host, Walter, and I'm flying a little solo tonight. Layton couldn't join us. Uh, he's been having some health issues. I've mentioned that a couple times now. And uh, the guest that we had on today, the guest that we're having on tonight, uh, we've been juggling schedules and playing uh kind of tag back and forth picking a time so when he said tonight worked we decided to jump on it and by we i mean i so i'll be doing this alone but uh just want to say hey to everybody and remind y'all to check out the new website that we rolled out uh let me know what you think about it don't forget to sign up for our newsletter there on the homepage. and if you could be so kind as to leave us a review a rating on iTunes or whatever uh, listening system that you're, or whatever platform you're listening on, that would be delightful. And remember, if you'd leave a review and you send me a message afterwards, I still will send you a decal for free, my way of saying thank you. So tonight we have an awesome episode where we talk Western hunting from a DIY Eastern uh, perspective, uh, how to go out and hunt animals from the east shore if you're from the east coast and you're not familiar with western hunting the guest tonight is uh, a very uh, versed hunter and he provides just some awesome content relating to how to do it where to go well maybe not where to go but how to do it what to prepare for and tells an awesome story of uh, a mule deer that he killed in 2015 i'm gonna keep this short because it's just my voice and i don't want y'all to get bored so i hope you enjoy the show all right, everybody, I am on the phone with a special guest, one that has been incredibly patient with my scheduling conflicts and my uh, chaotic lifestyle. On the phone, I have got the one, the only, Adam Cruz from Tennessee. How you doing, buddy? I am doing great, Walt, and I will say that uh, thank you because you've been very patient with my crazy schedule as well. I think we've both just been trying to do this when we can, when we could. And it, you know, life happens. And if I wasn't flexible, nobody would be flexible with me. So, dude, I'm just, I'm jacked to have you on here. I think it's been like what? This has been like a, I hate to say, has this been like a three month venture? Yeah, three between or four months. Schedules? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I thought you unfriended I, me at one point on Facebook. No, you didn't. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was about to say, I was sending you too much Tennessee hate stuff for that to have been. Yeah, good. I see all that weird red <laughs> bulldog junk come across way too often. Well, you know what? You know, it's funny. I, I have hated everything orange my entire life. I have just like utter blatant. It does not matter. You could be the nicest person in the world. If you wear the color orange and you're not like Syracuse or Miami, I can't stand you. And ever since I started this podcast, I met some really nice guys that are Gator fans and Vol fans. I'm like, oh, <laughs> now I'm forced to socialize with these people. And it's, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's made me a more well-rounded individual, I think. Good for you. Well, you do live down there in Florida country, so you should get used to it. Dude, it's, it's painful. It's it's really painful growing up in Georgia and then coming to Florida and dealing with all the Gators. It's like every time I get cut off, I look up and it's a UF tag. I'm just I'm seeing red. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, so Adam, I asked him to come on the show because uh, he did something that I think a lot of Eastern hunters uh, see on TV and think about doing, um, and that is he went out west and he chased mule deer and. That is something that I know a lot of people 
enjoy the idea of doing that is or the idea of doing it is is something that they'd like to do and when i saw that adam had done it i thought okay this guy's a working class fella he's like you and i he's relatable he ha- he probably had to do his research going into this and having him on would not only allow us to live vicariously through him and uh enjoy his adventure that he had but also i'm certain that he can provide uh some insights that will allow us if we ever decide to be as brave uh, to shorten that learning curve for us. But um, before we do that, I would like to give Adam a opportunity. He is a part of another podcast, and he's got his own outdoor aspect that uh, I'm I'm a follower of. I'm a follower of both his podcast and his online website. And Adam, why don't you tell everybody kind of uh, just who you are and kind of you know explain those two things that way everybody else that who may not know you knows who you are and what you have to offer. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in Southern rural Tennessee. I like most hunters or I actually just grew up hunting. Um, All of my family hunted. Hunting is really what I've always known. Uh, That's always been kind of my passion. Uh, You know, going, going through high school and middle school, you get into doing some sports and, and that sort of thing. But even when I was getting ready to go to college and thinking about, do I want to play sports or, you know, what do I want to do in my life? It was, how can I hunt more? So just, you know, I've completely been ate up with that my entire life. Uh, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I served in Iraq two different times. I have a wife, two boys, another little boy on the way. So I'm just trying to, you know, fill up my space, obviously with kids. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as I was, uh, I think most people, when you grow up, you're trying to figure out what do you want to do with your life. I know when I was in high school, I was thinking, you know, what do I want to major in? Where do I want to go? What do I want to do as an occupation? And one of the things that I always really enjoyed doing was just honestly sitting down and reading Bow Hunter magazine or Deer and Deer Hunting, reading some Bill Winkie or Dwight Shue, Larry D. Jones, just all of those different um, outdoor enthusiasts. And that was one of my favorite things to do. And I actually enjoyed writing. But as I moved on uh, into college, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a lot of different writing assignments. And I come to figure out not only did I like to read, but I really enjoyed writing. So uh, a couple of years ago, before I, before I went on this mule deer hunt, I actually had the idea to start a blog called Chase the Mountain. And that's chasethemountain.com. And that is where I chronicle uh, some of my hunting adventures. Uh, basically some of the lessons learned. I'm not a hunting expert, although I've been doing it all my life. However, uh, I've learned a lot along the way. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I enjoy sharing that. Also, I met a guy named Mike Higman online who runs a, a, a hunting website, and he had an idea to start a podcast focused on southern deer hunters and southern hunting overall. And uh, I was wanting to start a podcast as well. It was a, actually a completely different idea, but I really was intrigued by Mike's. And so now we both have Down South Hunting podcast, and that's downsouthhunting.com. So that's actually where I met Walt through this podcasting network. Yeah, and, and guys, um, both both chasethemountain.com and Down South Hunting podcast are incredible resources. They're very enjoyable Um we have a lot of hunters from the south, and you know it, it was it was very good for me to see uh, the south get a little more representation in the outdoor market because realistically we have a pile of hunters, and the resources that are put out there for us or put out for the community really don't relate to us, and that's I mean y'all's core focus, and it's incredible specific. If you live in the southeast, or maybe you could say the south in general, uh, it's just the the people that they have on there, everything is directly relatable to you. I know Alabama, Georgia, and Florida are three most downloaded states, so I highly encourage y'all to uh, subscribe and and follow them. Where where can they find you on social media? Uh, Chase the Mountain on Facebook, Chase the Mountain on Instagram, and Chase the MTN on Twitter. And I like to say, if you don't like college football, don't follow me on Twitter because that's about all I tweet about. (laughs) I don't even really know how to use Twitter other than tweeting about football. (laughs) (laughs) If, if, if I, uh, 
if I didn't have this podcast, I wouldn't even have Facebook, dude. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I was, it it it's so. Anyways, we don't need to go down that that path. But I, I'm with you. I, I don't know how to use Twitter. We're not on Twitter for that reason. I've got enough to keep up with as it is. But uh, yeah. So well, dude, how? You know what? Before we do that, let, let's just do this real quick. How has your 2017 deer season been? challenging so i grew up deer hunting like that's been my main that was my main thing as most kids growing up in the south i mean you probably start out squirrel hunting or some small game type of hunting and then you're always setting your sights on deer hunting well i deer hunted most of my life and at some point in time well i know what point in time when i went out west for my first time i just came back and was burnt out on deer hunting i I was burnt out on uh going on small farms getting you know losing access i never really got big into public land hunting and uh, it was just always felt like a battle of trying to keep access and find access and uh, so the last few years i've kind of pulled out of deer hunting a little bit and just focused on western hunting and uh, mainly turkey hunting I, I would deer hunt but i just wasn't passionate about it and so rewind that a little bit in the beginning of this year like I caught the whitetail bug again, and I caught the whitetail bug because I started experimenting with public land hunting, and you and I have kind of talked about that offline some. I just – it's hard to explain, but you know, people go through different – there are different phases of a deer hunter. You know, you start out, you're just trying to kill everything you can, and then you progress into another stage of trying to wait for a bigger deer, and, and there's like five different stages of deer hunter. Well, I think I went through all those five stages way too quick, and I think – I've cre- not not that I've created a sixth stage of deer hunting. I think there's a sixth stage of deer hunting that's out there that people have maybe have, have experienced or haven't experienced, and that's getting involved in public land deer hunting. I just enjoy now the aspect of I can go anywhere and hunt on public ground, and yeah, I'm going to have to deal with some yahoos every once in a while. The quality of bucks aren't going to be as big, but you know what? I'm not even looking to kill as big of bucks as I was in the past. I'm just happy like having buck encounters and uh, seeing a bunch of does, seeing if I can do things maybe others can't do or finding different ways to access properties that others aren't doing, just kind of adding that adventure element. So that's a a long way of saying that this year has been a real adventure. Um, I actually went up to Kentucky and hunted on public land for the first time up there. I missed a solid deer. definitely would have went Pope and Young. Just I ended up hitting a vine with my arrow oh, and I shot sky high. Uh, so that kind of stunk, but I uh, ended up killing a doe last week. And uh, I've just enjoyed it, man. This has been one of the most enjoyable deer seasons I've ever had. And I haven't killed any big bucks. I haven't had a ton of big buck encounters. But I've just changed my attitude about deer hunting. So I got to say it's been a success so far. Well, Dude, it sounds like your priorities are aligned to where uh, your season is going to let you down. You know, if if you go into something with the expectation of 150 class deer and realistically you don't have, you know, (laughs) an encounter with to to know that that deer is there, then you could be let down. You know, you have taken public land hunting to the extreme and you have gone to some great lengths to to access differently. And uh, it's... I'm, I think I'm kind of at the same place you are now where I lost, you know, I, I've had like conflicts with landowners. You know, I used to go door to door and I took mm-hmm. pride in getting access to these like hundred acre farms and stuff like that. But it always seemed like I had like four or five deals worked out with these different people. And it always seemed like every year they wanted like a little more or the, yeah. there was always some kind of confusion and it was like, man, this is getting far too freaking political. Like, can't I find someone who's just like, yeah, you're a cool guy. Go shoot deer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and and I remember I came home to my wife and, and I told her, I was like, dude, or not dude, I didn't say dude to my wife. but I was like, You, know, <laughs> you did. <laughs> I probably did. But, you know, I was like, I'm just, I'm burnt out on this crap, man. It's draining me. It's like, it's, it's instead of getting up and enjoying go hunting, it's like, God, I hope I don't take off Bob, you know, because I'm hunting in this bottom that he also likes to hunt or something like that. Or, you know, I, 
I, it was just, it's one of those things where I was, I said, I'm just going to hunt public land and it'll be what it'll be this year. And I didn't prep like I should, and I'm paying for it now. So I'm, you know, come this spring, I'm going to remedy that. But, you know, there's something really, you know, I, I became a bow hunter because it was additionally challenging than shooting with a gun. I haven't picked up a gun in, in almost 10 years now. And there's something additionally challenging, obviously challenging about oh, yeah. hunting public land. And it's like, I know when I'm, when I strike gold with that bow, it's going to be just to the 10th degree more rewarding because I did it on a piece of property that I could go where I want to. I could do what I want to. Then I found those deers and I beat out a bunch of Dickie Moe's to, you know, get to them. So it, it's interesting that we're both on that similar track, I think about the same time, but yeah, I haven't killed anything this year. I came to, to I haven't even come to full draw yet, dude. It'll happen. Oh yeah, yeah. My season runs through February, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> oh shoot. <laughs> I'll, I'll also add this point, and I mean, I'm not knocking anyone in any style of hunting, but if you think about the way the trend of deer hunting starting probably like in the early 2000s it started moving more towards like food plots and how, how many acres can you plant in food plots or how mm-hmm. many acres do you have? And it was almost like farming for deer. And yeah. when you take that into consideration, like I'm not saying it's not challenging because it is, but if you have access to 10,000 acres and you got 5,000 acres of corn and all these ungodly numbers, you know what? You've probably got some good deer running around and your chances are a lot higher than the next guy. If you start focusing on that, like in in envying those people that have that and you don't, that's what creates that, you know, that angst and uh, just the burnout, like you said, man. And if you can just kind of, I don't know, just take in what is uh, is good, what you have available and just right. roll with that and just be happy with it. Shoot, we'll all be happier and be happier hunters for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Antler envy. I think, it's, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I don't knock anybody either. You, you hunt however it is you want to hunt. You know, we are blessed beyond all belief in this country to be able to, you know, hunt the way that we do and have the ability to hunt for fun instead of, uh, you know, the next meal. So, you know, I don't have any problem with that, but I'm with you, dude. I think we do. And this is, that's part of the reason that I started this podcast is I wanted to get back down to just simply enjoying hunting enjoying telling the stories if you shot a big old pope and young buck hey man we're gonna celebrate that Heck yeah. if not and you shot a spike and it was the first year you shot on public land ever dude that's a heck of an accomplishment as well so i was talking to a 12 year old boy this weekend and he was talking about you know deer hunting on in a place in tennessee and he's got some private land and i asked him if he killed any deer this year and he said no and i said well you know why not still i haven't seen any big bucks i was like man you're you're 12 years old like shoot a four point like you'll be really happy when you do (laughs) he said no man i I was like all right if you don't want to shoot a four point that's fine but do you enjoy killing does like do you enjoy this he said yeah yeah i like to shoot does it's like shoot some does man you need some experience you need you need to get your hands dirty you need to learn how to butcher the deer yourself you need to get some trigger time because when that big boone and crockett buck does walk by you need to like been here before and put a deer in your crosshairs and squeezed off on it. So any of you guys and gals with kids out there, like encourage them to shoot some deer. Like that's what we're out there doing. We're hunting. We didn't want to come out there just to hear the birds chirp. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, and you know, dude, if you're going to be bow hunter, a bow hunter, I'm going to be honest with you. When, when you come to back to full draw on a big buck at 20 yards, Dude, there are very few people, unless you've done a lot of killing prior to that, who can on their first deer draw back and have the composure to do what they need to and make a shot on a big buck. Because I can barely do it, and I've killed double-digit deer with the bow, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it it was like the solo hunter was on a podcast at some point, or maybe it was uh, Stephen Ranella, and he was like, well, what's the one piece of advice that you can give people who are coming out west? And he's like, shoot it. Like if it's legal, <laughs> shoot it because one, you're not that good of a Western hunter as it is because you're coming out here from the, from the East. And mm-hmm. two, you just need to get used to shooting a big animal. Is, is this spot, do I need to hug the shoulder a little more? Do I need to back off the shoulder a little more? He's like, you need that experience. And if you get all the way out there and you have a 400 inch bull in front of you one day, 
and you come to full draw and you have no experience, dude, that's going to wreck you. Yeah. You know, and, and you're right, dude. I wish kids would like, I wish parents and, 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 and role models in the community would show more or, or endorse younger folks or new hunters in general, just to, if it's brown, it's down, dude. Mm-hmm. Just get used to killing, you know, and, th- and they'll grow out of it naturally. I mean. And be happy about it. Yeah. Enjoy it. Gosh, man, I was doing that stuff when I was 11 years old. I ended up killing a really, really good deer when I was 11 years old with my dad. And we left that day. I was like, I don't want to shoot any more little bucks, dad. And, you know, he was he was cool with that. <laughs> and I didn't for a long time. Like, I wouldn't shoot smaller deer. And I regret that. I mean, and we had we had a thing back then, too we were kind of coming out of that transition to where we didn't have many deer. And then all of a sudden we had a ton of deer. So shooting does was not cool. We didn't shoot a lot of does. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of trigger time then. I might kill one or two deer a year, but man, I should have been whopping five or six, especially with the the numbers we had looking back on it. Management wise, we should have been, all of us should have been shooting four or five does. Yeah, no, I agree, man. We're on the same page there. So let's shift gears a little bit. What, approximately what point, maybe you touched on this before and I, I didn't quite latch onto it. When did you start making your transition to uh, chasing Western game over whitetails? Uh, the first time I went, I went to Colorado elk hunting with my uncle and that was around 2005. So my uncle, he has been elk hunting, gosh, probably all the way back into the early 80s. I'm talking about when elk hunting was awesome out west. There wasn't a lot of competition. Uh, that's where he kind of cut his teeth on. That that time period is when he cut his teeth on elk hunting. So he's an experienced elk hunter. When I was a kid, I always kind of dreamed about going out west with him. And um, when I got in the Marine Corps, I actually took out a savings bond so that I could afford to go on my first elk hunt with him in 2005. So that's when, uh, as soon as, uh, as soon as I had a little leave and it was the end of my enlistment and I had the money, I went on a, an elk hunt with him and it just, it literally changed my life as far as my views of hunting is concerned and kind of ruined me in some aspects, but that was the first time I went out there. And I take it that that was like the final nail in the coffin for you from that point. <laughs> Moving forward, you were hooked. I was, man, but I, I was young. I was broke, and I got married early. <laughs> My wife, I mean, you know how it is. You've been oh, married yeah. a while now. It's like, hey, baby, I want to go to Colorado for 10 days. I want to drop a couple of grand. <laughs> um, you know, I hope you're okay here with the kids. And it was like after that first one, I mean – until I went on this elk hunt, it was or this mule deer hunt in 2015. I went on a 10 year drought. I mean, I didn't get to go back out west, so it's it's absolutely killed me. And that's one of the other reasons I started my website is like kind of encouraging others like how to do this and how to prepare for this. And if you can't uh, if you can't afford to always do this, like how to be ready when you can, you know, when you can get out right. there. So yeah, that's a long drought, man. 10 years, dude. That's a my uncle. He lives in Colorado. I don't know if I ever told you this. And he is, for the last, I don't know, six years now, begged me year after year, come on out. I know how to get after the animals. Come on out. I know where they are. I've got all the gear. I'll buy you this. I mean, like, he's just, he's begging me to come out. And there is a reason why I have not gone out. One, I can't save enough. I couldn't save enough in college, if we're being frank, to go out there. And two, I knew good and damn well, if I went out there, I wasn't coming back and finishing school. (laughs) I mean, I'm yeah. just being completely honest with you. I knew because he'd send me these photos and I'm like, where the wild things go. Okay. That, that is, that is wilderness area. That is no cell towers, no paved roads. You're hiking in. It's like, that is, I think that's at the core of every hunter, but mm-hmm. me, I feel especially like, you know, I, I grew up reading Robert Rourke's horn of the hunter and the old man and the boy and, and, you know, uh, Sand, Cal- uh, Sand County Almanac, and and you hear these stories about these places where you're just unplugged, and and there, there's you find places, and you can almost convince yourself nobody's been there before, and that's to me is part of the allure of going out there, man. It's uh, it's awesome. I am. I, I it, think it I mean. could cause a divorce, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm getting my CPA first, Adam, and then and then I'm gonna buy plane tickets, and you and I are gonna go out there, and you're gonna show me the ropes, right? Well, I don't know if I'll show you the ropes, but we'll definitely suffer together. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's that's good for me. So, well, so let, let's so 
this hunt that we're going to be talking about that happened in uh, 2015. Yep. Okay. How did you decide? Well, where did you go? What state? And how did you pick the state that you went to? So, I went to Montana, and although I've always wanted to go to Montana, that I never thought that would be my next trip out west. But the reason I went to Montana is because I had a couple of Marine Corps buddies that lived out there. And I had another buddy that was moving out to Idaho, and he was already planning a trip to hunt Montana. So I jumped and like I jumped at that idea and tagged along with those guys. Um, and it was, you know, for all of us, it was an area that none of us had been to. It was all public land, but that was where kind of the idea of Montana came from. Okay, so this was this was a hundred percent DIY with with the aid of some locals. Yeah, well, they weren't really locals. Yes, they. Although there's Montana, there's about five hours away, so we all kind of met up at the southern part of the state, um, in between. Because my buddies live up in Kalispell, which is the northwest corner of Montana, and then my other buddy in Idaho, he lives in in Boise. So we met right there at the southern part of Montana, where you can draw very easily a mule deer tag, and that was one of the things that we wanted to do is get out there with a the mule deer uh, with a rifle. Why, why mule deer? Uh, you know, again, that wasn't really, that wasn't one of the top big game animals that I really wanted to chase. But as my buddy kept talking about it and the more I started looking into the mule deer as a species and started studying mule deer, I became very intrigued and jumped on board with trying to get that tag. So, I mean, if you guys, your listeners have ever, looked into mule deer hunting and i'm sure most a lot of them probably been in mule deer hunting but if you know anything about mule deer the mule deer population is declining drastically because of you know people moving out west and different causes i'm not a wildlife biologist but they're on the decline so for me having an opportunity to go out there and actually hunt that animal became pretty special um just the more i I started getting involved with trying to understand the animal itself so what style, and, and I don't know the right terminology for this, excuse me, but what style of hunt was it? Was it you had a base camp with the trucks and you hiked back in? Did you hike in a 10-day supply like you see on TV? What what was the methodology, methodology that went into uh, this hunt? So we had the idea of backpacking in, um, but we also had campers available to us. So my buddy, he pulled down his camper and we slept in that and we had the idea of using that as a base camp but also launching out and uh spike camp some places or your back backpacking in and that actually got nixed because when we first got there it was around november 5th somewhere along those lines and it was like 50 or 60 degrees it was just beautiful weather it was perfect to be there and uh, a couple of days in we decided okay we're gonna we're gonna backpack in so we loaded up our packs and man, we got to the top of this mountain and it just started spitting snow fast. And I'm talking, it became like white out conditions. And so we hunted for a little <laughs> while in that snow and then we had to come down off the mountain. So we never actually backpacked in and stayed the night while we were there. We always stayed in the camper, which was really, really nice setup. Probably made for a little more rest. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. Which, yeah. you know, I say that, um, if I had the right type of equipment, I think backpacking in will be would be a lot easier because you're back there and you don't have to walk back there again. I mean, if you think about it, you're always having to walk back to your truck, drive back an hour or more to camp. There's just so much more that goes into it if you're not just like staying out there with them. So at some point in my Western hunting career, I really want to be geared up to a point where I can just take my tent I can feel comfortable sleeping out in the backcountry, and I say comfortable because if some of y'all ain't ever slept out in the backcountry with the bears, like it can get uncomfortable, and uh, just be ready for that that mindset. So you you touched on something there that I kind of want to address. Your Eastern hunter, he buys uh, two different uh, items for hunting. He buys uh, the short sleeve shirt shirt and the shorts. Yep. And he Jorts wears a <laughs> Jorts in Florida <laughs> with your signature series mullet. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you, you bust out the, the 
hoodie when it hits 60 degrees for the first time, you know, around December. And then everybody's got their uh, 9,000 gram insulate coveralls that they bust out for that one late season cold front that we have that comes through. One of the things that I suspect is that the gear and the uh, application of that gear is far more involved on a Western hunt. Is that fair to say? A hundred percent. You really need to pay attention to what you're wearing, especially. I know there's a company out there that says like our clothing is gear or something along those lines. And it's so true. Like if you have cotton on, it's going to stick to you. It's not going to dry. If you don't have the right socks, uh, your feet are going to stay sweaty. If you don't have the right boots, you're going to keep blisters on your feet. You're not going to be able to walk. Um, Of course, you can go in wearing blue jeans and a flannel shirt and a decent pair of boots and you could be okay. However, you could be a whole lot more comfortable in making sure you've got the right materials for that situation. And you, and I know people say, well, I don't want to spend $200 on a pair of pants. Neither do I, and I never have. You just got to wait till the end of hunting season and buy it on clearance, buy it on deals. But it is so <laughs> worth it to be prepared and buy the right type of clothes before you go out there. You got to watch huntinggearsdeals.com, right? Huntinggeardeals.com. I need to find a way to tag him at the 28th minute in this so that uh, he he appreciates that. But uh, Mike um, is—he's a a serial podcast listener. I'm sure he'll listen to it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) He used to—he used to like message me because I always wanted to keep these under an hour, and suddenly I managed to blow past an hour for like three episodes in a row and I get some random message one day saying, wow, you're really being a rebel here lately. I'm like, what the hell does he mean by this? I'm being a rebel. Like I'm, and I, I didn't even respond at first. Cause like that was obviously sent to the wrong person. And finally it ate me up. I couldn't take it any longer. So I sent him a message like a half hour later, like, what are you talking to me about? He's like, thought you said you weren't going to have a podcast past the 60 minute mark. I was like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he listens to everybody's podcast all the time. I do. He, he does. He eats it up, man. <laughs> so l- let's get back to the gear. And I don't, you know, I think we could have like three different podcasts just related to this hunt. If you wanted to break down the different components, where you picked the hunt, the terrain, what you went into it, you could have another one for the gear. I don't want to yeah. take up that much of your time. I don't want to be up that late. So let me, let me break it down. Let me, let me just ask you one question and you mm-hmm. can answer this however you want to. Three pieces of gear that the Eastern hunter may grossly overlook when they go on their first Western hunt. What 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 tragic mistakes could you could they avoid? Um, not wearing the right kind of boots. Not okay. Having the right type of pack. So figuring out whether or not you're gonna you know bring your meat out on your back, and if you are, you need the right type of pack for that. And my third piece of gear. Um, I'm going to say would be pants, having the right pants. And I know that's probably a weird one for most people, but that is probably one of the most important pieces of clothing that you have on. Can you elaborate as to why? Well, if you wear the right pair of pants, you don't have to go in with three or four pairs of camo pants. You have one pair of pants that won't rip, um, that will wick sweat, that will... Uh, wick away, have like a DWR type of finish. So if you get, if it starts raining on you, that water won't really soak in that well. I mean, if it comes a monsoon, you know, you'll need some rain pants, but uh, four-way stretch is important. They're just having a good pair of technical pants and you don't have to go buy the big name brands. You can go buy Prana pants. That's one of the pants that I actually wear. They're uh, they're under $100, and they're just as every bit as good as, say, like a First Light Corrugate Guide pants. Matter of fact, I did a review on Corrugate, the Corrugate Guides, and I, I think the Piranhas are actually a better pant, and they're half the price. So just making sure you got the right pair of pants. They don't have to be camo. Just get a pair of green, khaki, whatever. So, no, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, I shall was just chase it, man. Topic. I don't care. No, 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 no. Oh. I don't want to put myself out there on this. It would be would be way too long. I, my frustration <laughs> being, I feel like the hunting industry puts out crap compared to a lot of other industries, and they charge way too much for it. But Amen. it's a podcast for a different time. It's it's super frustrating. Um, okay, so we we've kind of we've we've outlined where you went, 
We have outlined uh, the importance of, of picking out gear. You've given us some, some basic tips, and maybe we can have you on in the future to kind of do like a a prep the Eastern hunter for uh, the for Western gear. Maybe you could break down some of the decisions that you made, um, throw some companies under the bus. That'd be great too. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, so let, let's get, let's get to what everybody wants to hear. And that is the yeah. story you, you, you flew out there, I suppose. I did. Yeah. Uh, what was, what was the planned duration of the hunt? Uh, it was going to be like an, I think it was a nine day hunt is what it ended up being. So I flew out on a Friday, came back on a Sunday. So whatever that is. Um, yeah, I'm trying to recount it all. Recount it all. So it's been about two years now. Um, but we picked the area again because it was an easier to draw tag. And I think one of the guys didn't actually draw the tag. So um, that was that was one of the things. And to prepare for hunting in this particular area, I, I can't stress enough, like if you pick a piece of public land to go to, you need to f- call and get a hold of like game wardens and wildlife biologists, uh, the wildlife management area manager, whoever that might be, whoever you can contact that's on the ground and working in that area is very important. And one of the questions you shouldn't ask is, you know, where do I go to kill a mule deer? It's you need to ask more. Oh, come specific, on. <laughs> you need to ask more specific questions like what do the mule deer, you know, what are they eating and consuming at this particular day? Or when is the rut and what altitudes would the mule deer, you know, where are they going to reside at this particular date? Because if you start narrowing that down, it's like, okay, well, if they're going to be at 6,500 feet, then I don't need to be at 10,000 feet. And you can start looking at the 6,500 feet range. And then you can also take some of those map reading skills that you have in the whitetail woods. And if you don't have a lot of map reading skills now, you can go read some books on that. I think there's a book uh, called Mapping Trophy White Mapping Trophy Whitetails, and you can take Mapping Trophy Whitetails and use a lot of what he talks about in uh, topography and different terrain features, and utilize it out west too. Because you you know you're going to hunt uh, drainages, you're going to hunt saddles, you're going to hunt benches. It's all the same things. It's just mountains. It's not you know hill country. So take some of that knowledge you already have and apply it to those areas. So that's really how we prepared. We did a ton of map study. Uh, we called some wildlife biologists. We never had any uh, pre-scouting time. So none of the guys lived there. They'd never hunted there. It was one of those deals where we went in and we went where we thought mule deer would be based off of the different terrain features and the time of year it was. And and we made some mistakes and uh, and we had to figure out ways to – to find mule deer because we went for a while without seeing some bucks. So we had to, we had to get creative. I'll say that change, change up what we were actually doing. Well, dude, you, you have set the foundation for a very interesting story. You, you had me where you had to get creative. That always seems like the best. (laughs) No, don't get me wrong. I like hearing, yeah, I walked out there day one and, and I hit the elk bugle and he was right there 30 yards to my left and I shot him. But so I'll tell you what, I'm going to kind of give you creative license on this. Take us through the story. Uh, however you feel is the good starting point in that nine day hunt and, uh, take it away. So the first, First thing we did was went to one of the areas that we felt like there would be mule deer at, and uh, we took again in consideration what the the altitude, at, where, what elevation will these mule deer be at? So we thought they'd be at really high at this time of year. Again, it was like early November, and we went for days. I'm telling you, days without seeing mule deer, and uh, I guess we finally wised up a little bit as we're like driving down out of the mountains. We would always see mule deer mingling with whitetails down in these bottoms with like the farmer, <laughs> you know, like these farmer, the agricultural fields and the bottoms where the farmers were at. And um, we had one night. No, I'm sorry. Let me back up. The day that we got hit with the whiteout blizzard, I didn't go up there with um, a pair of insulated boots because I checking the weather. I didn't think I would need insulated boots. Well, my waterproofing ended up like the the ice from the snow that clogged clogged up in my boots they broke through and like my feet were soaking wet for like two days (laughs) and man i'm talking 
I was just as miserable as I've ever been. When I, I remember that second night when I got back in, uh, into the camper and I just like crawled into the, in my sleeping bag and I wouldn't talk to anybody, couldn't eat. Like I was just miserably my feet. Like I was on the edge of frostbite, I think. And that next day we woke up and we went hunting and it was just kind of a hard day of hunting. And I told my buddy Chris, I was like, man, we got to just kill this hunt today. We got to go to town. I got to go to some, I got to go somewhere and buy some new boots. So we got to some like a co-op equivalent down in town and I got me some Gore-Tex leather boots, which I would say if you guys are going to get your feet wet or into some snow, you would definitely consider leather over synthetic. Um, and I was talking to one of the locals, just making some small talk. And he said, you, you know, well, where are you from? What are you boys doing out here? And I told him I was mule deer hunting. I was like, man, I am just struggling to find any mule deer bucks and he asked where i was hunting and kind of the same questions and he said well son the mule deer are at lower elevations right now and uh he kind of put us in a direction <laughs> of not saying like hey go hunt here but he gave us some really good clues where to find mule deer and sure enough man we put those boots on i ended up uh, grabbing one of the other guys that uh, he was in camp and he's an active duty marine and he and I went out to kind of scout this area and he got a shot the very first afternoon that we were out there at a muley and he ended up missing that one. But, uh, so we, we finally found mule deer. So that night we get back into camp and we're like, okay, the mule deer are at about 6,200, 6,200 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, instead of being high up in the mountains, they were, the best way I can describe it is, is these muleys were in these drainages in what would look like kind of like sand hill country, uh, still like 6,000 feet elevation, but a lot of hills, um, a lot of sage grass. They were bedded up in the sage grass. They just bedded up everywhere in the sage grass in these drainages. So all you'd have to do is just, you know, we do a lot of spot and stalking. We would try to get in places where the muleys wouldn't pick us off, but we'd also get in places where we could spot them. And man, we just started running into mule deer after mule deer after mule deer. So we finally figured out what we were doing and it was just taking a little bit of, uh, that was where I said, you know, had to get a little creative. We kind of stumbled into creativity, but hey, it worked out. And, uh, you know, I think the whole time while we were hunting, I was always questioning if we were doing it the right way, were we, were we walking too much, not doing enough spotting. Um, there may have been some things that we could have done differently, but uh, we would, we would just, you know, find areas where we could see really well and we would comb through those areas. And I'm going to tell you, mule deer are hard to see, especially in sagebrush. Like they don't move. If you walk by a mule deer, you could be 50 yards away from these guys and they are confident in their ability to hide from humans and predators so they'll just stay still unless you like unless they know the gig is up and i'm sure every situation is different but they're not like a whitetail you walk by a whitetail and it's bedded up sometimes they'll jump up that joker's gone. most of the time they'll jump up they're, they're a lot more skittish acting but um i'm muley man you can just you can just kind of guarantee if you'll just kind of keep walking instead of stopping they'll they'll think they have you beat they think they've beat your eyes. Mm. So um, that was – we finally kind of figured that out, man, by getting on some. So, that, so that's interesting. That's something that I've never heard discussed on a podcast before is the temperament or uh, flight flight or hunker down mentality. It kind of sounds like it reminds me a little bit of a rabbit in the sense that you know how a rabbit you can sneak up on or walk by and they'll hunker down. And mm -hmm. if you keep walking, they're like, okay, well, he didn't see me. But you stop and you turn and you look at him and boom, off they go. You know, I actually had that happen one time. I was actually hunting with my uncle, the same uncle that goes out west and hunts. And I remember when I was a kid, we were walking down this trail in, in a cow pasture and up on this hill with some does bedded down. And I didn't see them. And he said, he said, don't stop. Just kind of ease over and look to your left. There's some does bedded up there. If you just keep walking, they'll stay there. And he was right. And I, and I always try that, you know, at home. And some white tails are usually so skittish they'll jump up and go or whatever mm -hmm. if they if they know you've looked at them. But these muleys, man, they just are confident in their ability to hide. And and like you said, they're like rabbits. That's a good way of putting it. Different. So, were you the first person to shoot a deer? Uh, you know. I, my buddy shot at one and missed that day before the same day that I killed 
my other buddy was hunting in a different area very similar to what I was hunting in and he killed so he killed earlier that day and I guess I was the second one to kill and then we also killed well I didn't but uh, some of the other guys in camp they had white-tailed doe tags they didn't have mule deer tags so that was pretty easy to just go around knocking on doors and saying hey you know I see see you have a hundred (laughs) whitetails out in your field would you like to (laughs) have some of those taken out and uh, farmers would oblige (laughs) that fairly easy so we had we had a few whitetail doe I mean we had we had quite a few deer down by the time it's over, but I think we only killed three millies. Yeah. Yikes. So, so what day was it that you spotted your deer? Thursday. So I'd almost been there complete. I mean, we started hunting Saturday. So yeah, um, longer than a week. I, we planned on leaving on Friday just because it was, it was time to go for some different reasons and uh so i killed on thursday and then my other buddy went and hunted uh, he had an elk tag one of the residents did so we went and chased him chased around some elk too oh wow that's cool yeah so did you how give give me the details of 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 having did, how did you i did how did you locate the deer Where, did, did you stumble upon it were you spotting from a good distance so we had Actually, where we ended up, where I shot my deer, we had walked very, very close to those deer earlier that day and had been watching um, quite a few does and a few small bucks on a on a mountainside away from us. So we ended up circling back around and coming through and legitimately stumbled across these deer bedded down. So it wasn't like we spotted them up and did any kind of stalk. We were aimlessly wandering through to our next <laughs> spotting location and my buddy he spotted him first he said he said deer you know we kind of like lay down did gotten down in the prone position and he was like oh man yeah we got a we got a muley buck here you're gonna shoot and i'd already made the the statement that if i saw a whitetail i didn't care if that whitetail went 200 inches and i could have shot a, a whitetail on this trip i was not shooting a whitetail but the very first forky that I saw of a mule deer, I was taking it down. And so when he had, he said, you want to shoot a forky? I was like, are you crazy? Let me up there. So, yeah, that was uh, – and it worked out perfectly, man. The deer, like um, – another thing is I was planning on taking my rifle out there to hunt. And because of some different things, I decided last minute not to. And so when we got there, I actually shot my buddy's rifle. You know, it was a 6.5 Creedmoor, awesome shooting gun. Uh, I dialed it into like 200 yards. And I I would have shot my gun further than that because out west you're going to have some longer shots than that. But with not being my gun, that's that's what uh, my range was. I think that deer was around 220 or something. Anyways, I go down to shoot uh, in the prone at this, <laughs> this, at this forky, and I get ready to flip the safety off. And it's a savage, which has like, and I don't own a savage. I haven't shot savages other than this guy's. And if you haven't practiced with it enough, you're not familiar with the safety mechanism. And you had to like basically have a middle slot. I can't remember what it's called, but I ended up trying to put the safe, flip the safety off and it didn't go all the way off. And then I'm just trying to squeeze off and I'm like, dude, it won't go. Like, what's wrong with your rifle? <laughs> and during that moment, I like, I had the worst case of buck fever that I think I've ever had over this forky. And I mean, I've killed like 156 inch whitetail. Like, I, I don't get buck fever that bad usually. But this thing, man, had me shook up in my boots. And uh, anyways, I kind of finally he was like whacked me over the head and threw the safety off for me. <laughs> and uh, I was in the prone position again, laid over the pack. The the deer had stood up perfectly broadside and just shot. And matter of fact, the deer uh, he ran back down the mountain all the way to the trailhead, and the trailhead was like down. Um, about the best way I can explain it is like a, a valley between two mountains. It's a perfect road down there. You couldn't actually take a truck on the road, but there was this road and he ran right down the road towards the truck and uh, ended up dying down there on that road. It was, it was perfect. But yeah, we had to, and that's when the work began. We had, uh, yeah, I told you about getting a good pack. If you're going to pack out your deer and, and me and my buddy, you know, we field dressed him there and, we're sitting there talking and I was like, well, you know, you want to go ahead and butcher him up. And he says, man, let's, let's do something different. Let's, let's take this deer out whole. And I was like, huh, 
I don't know how we're going to do this. Now, if you've never been deer hunt, if you've never been mule deer hunting or seen mule deer versus a whitetail, mule deer are much, much larger than a whitetail. Even a forky mule deer, like I have no clue what that thing weighed, but it was much larger than a normal it's a whitetail. Deer. I'm yeah. looking at the photo right now, and the, the the rack is is small in comparison to the body of the animal. Oh yeah, the body was humongous. So my buddy gets this broad idea to lash this sucker to a dead tree limb, our dead tree. So we got this like little spruce tree or something all Indian uh, rigged out, you know, lashed yes. up to it. And so here's another piece of advice. If you ever decide to bring a deer out whole, do not tie up its back legs. Like you can just tie up its front legs or its back legs and then you pull it out that way and let, let the other legs drag. You don't take it out where it swings and bump, bounces. Dude, ah. literally we had over – I can't remember if it was a mile or two miles back to the truck – but we carried that deer out, man, and I literally still have back problems today from that. <laughs> I, you, I, I injured myself. Are you serious? Oh, oh yeah, man. Like he, he was. Uh, we were going down the trail, and he's. I was like groaning and grimacing, and he's like, "Dude, are you okay back there?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm out there. I'm just gonna have to go to the chiropractor." Well, ended up like I shifted my vertebrae out of whack or something Holy according to my crap, physical therapist dude. and legit man like every single day of my life since then i've been in back pain <laughs> that's a whole nother story but yeah man it was uh it was fun all the the locals there they asked me when the heck i was out there shooting mule deer when the the white tails would taste so much better and the muleys would taste like sagebrush and you know i, I took that deer home and uh, my family enjoyed every stitch of meat out of that deer more than any whitetail we've ever had. It was just absolutely delicious. So cannot complain there. That's awesome, dude. Did it taste like sagebrush? Not at all. Uh, and it may be because we didn't uh, – we actually didn't let it hang, but we packed it full of snow and left it in the back of his truck for a couple of days, kind of like you would you know, hang in a deer. So maybe it was just – that helped it out or something. I, mean, I don't live up north, and we don't we don't have the the ability to hang deer unless you take it to a meat locker. But uh, that that worked out pretty good. That's awesome, man. So I guess maybe the lesson here is just don't pack out the deer hole. Just go ahead and yeah. rely on the backpack that you bought. <laughs> yeah, man. And like you know, I'm running this blog too, so I did a big uh, review of the pack and. The whole point was like I didn't even get to use the stinking pack to <laughs> pack out the meat. I should have just like demanded like, "Hey, dude, we're gonna do this. <laughs> I need I need to know what it's gonna feel like." Uh, lesson learned. Lesson oh learned. man, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I guess so, right? God, dude, I I need to get out there and I, I need to get my CPA first, but I need to get out west and and. Uh, chase after some of these animals you know we there's a guy that i met through uh the nine fingers chronicles podcast uh he's a florida hunter as well he's the gator that i told you that i'm having to force myself to look past um his affiliation but you know chase prince he's been on the podcast before i'm gonna have him on uh come january he's gonna come down here and record the sequel to um his kansas uh story we we, we recorded a podcast where <clears throat> he came on and and talked about what gear he pe he picked and why he picked Kansas the the area that he's going to be hunting and then he's going to you know uh, share his success or failure uh with us he he wants to go out west and you know because of our close proximity we've talked about you know carpooling and start making some of these trips out there so i may have to to call on you later when it comes time to picking out the gear and getting closer to that date to uh pick your brain a little bit man definitely and the one thing i would suggest right now is just start buying some of the gear slowly and once you have your gear i mean you're not going to spend a lot of money getting out there i went elk hunting not this year but last year and i think i might have spent let's say twelve hundred dollars with tags food gas and everything that's not bad yeah it's not bad i mean you can you can definitely spend around a thousand bucks if you have everything already purchased to get out there um and you know i don't hunt with an outfitter uh not to say that i wouldn't if i didn't have a ton of money set in the bank but hey you can just <laughs> you can uh, if you want to go elk hunting especially i, I kind of think that i would suggest starting out with elk hunting um i liked i enjoyed mule deer hunting but there is absolutely nothing in the world like elk hunting 
So I would, uh, I would pick a time, man, and put it on the calendar and just you and your buddy or whoever you decide to go with, just stink and go, just do it. Well, the only, the only, uh, the only kink in the plans at this point is my sister's in the air force and she was just stationed in Ellendorf, Alaska. And because of that, I get to, and she'll be a, a, a qualifying resident at that point in time. I can hunt all the species that everybody normally has to have a guide or an outfitter to hunt because oh, my brother-in-law yeah. and sister. Yeah. So there's a good chance before I go hunt elk and, and mule deer, there's a very good chance I'm going to go hunt moose in Alaska. And so that's kind of like, that's kind of like where I'm, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because she's not always going to be an Ellendorf. And then I won't have that opportunity. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, that's a little more involved of a trip. You know, you got to get uh, transportation to and from the brush, uh, the bush country and, and whatnot. So we're, we're looking at like going not this fall coming up, but maybe the fall after. Give us enough time to physically, mentally and uh, prepare with equipment and financially to, to do that. The flights aren't that bad. The flight's like 400 bucks round trip. That's not bad. It's no, it's surprisingly cheap, but you know, in the tag, I think the tag for a moose is like six sixty or something like that, which again isn't terrible. Um, so so I have a customer we'll on that base, and that's like part of my job. I go to military bases. We should just go out oh, there. Cool. I'll go out there as a work trip. And you go out there as a recreational <laughs> trip, and we'll just meet each other and we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's you, do it. You, you just get me on. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I don't want to pay for the stinking god. I'm telling you, man. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Like she she put in for like Japan and and she put in for like South Florida and Germany, I think. And they were like, nope, you're not going to any of those. You're going to Alaska. And she has never. She's grown up in the South. She has not complained once yet. She's like building snowmen and all kinds of stuff and sending us photos. And she's like, I got to scrape ice off my windshield today. It was great. I was like, yeah, well, I was swatting mosquitoes. So <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So it's cool, man. It's cool that this country, we are, we are beyond blessed to have as many opportunities as we do to, to consider going and hunting moose or should we hunt mule deer or elk or all that good stuff, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. We're very fortunate. Without a doubt, man. I totally agree. Well, brother, I want to be respectful for, of your time, and we're running up on an hour now, but I do this with everybody, and I don't prepare anybody for it. I have a question for you. Go for it. If you could go back to Adam circa the first Western hunt, what would you tell the younger Adam to shorten the learner curve one piece of advice what would you tell him okay so that first elk hunt i would tell young stupid adam elk are not <laughs> whitetails <laughs> you can you can get on them they they are used to hearing loud noises As a matter of fact elk are very heavy animals and they make loud noises so it's okay to make loud noises don't creep in there like you're sneaky ninja trying to kill elk because it don't work like get in there with them. So that's what I would tell uh, the younger version of me. Awesome. And I would have killed, a, I would have killed an elk like the first day I went if I'd done that crap. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Say you either, you either listen to our podcast and knew that was coming or you, you have since <laughs> sat back and said, God, you know what I could have done on that trip? And it sounds like it's the latter. It's if I had just gone in there and busted in on him, I could have killed an elk that first day. So I've told every Easterner that that's thought about going elk hunting. I took my brother last year and I said, dude, if that elk starts bugling and we get in there on him, don't you start ninjaing around. You get in there on him. Like if we got the wind in our favor, now that's a big important piece, but get there, get in there on him and you'll kill him. Um, still trying to make that happen, but we'll see maybe next year. <laughs> you know, honestly, I kind of do the same thing with whitetails. I think a lot of people do hurt themselves a lot with the way they they walk. If you think about a deer, they don't have the heel to toe. They just, the foot comes up, the foot goes down. And I walk to my stand that same way. Like I don't, I'm not even quiet walking to my stand. I just pick my foot straight up. I put my foot straight down 
and I get closer to I've I've gotten up in my tree before been sitting there going like god I'm sweating my butt off I'm complaining and all of a sudden like an ear like flicks to my right and I'm like holy crap there's a doe 35 yards to the right of my stand bedded down I mean she's just been laying there the whole time so I I, the the woods make noise Mm -hmm. (laughs) some animals that probably works better than than others but that's cool man yeah some people uh, I used to do this take a turkey call with you and yelp around on that as you're going in God, they would they would they would come running out and put me out of my misery if I started walking in with a turkey call. I am so terrible. Well, I've heard your turkey hunting stories. <laughs> yeah. 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 Every um, yeah. That's <laughs> they, they they've not been delightful. I'm sure I'm sure they are for everybody to listen to, but you know, it is what it is. But uh, Yeah. Well, brother, listen, I just want to thank you once again for coming on the show. Um I know that these in, that these topics are going to resonate with people, and, and that and that buck scored what like two hundred and fifty inches. It was like the world record uh, fork pro- and horn, pro- probably like twenty five inches. Yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> stretching it. That's <laughs> that's all right, man. It, it ate fine. It's a big old deer. It, I, oh, I would I would not have hesitated to have shot it. Matter of fact, I may have shot something smaller if it was legal. I don't know what the 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 legality of, of it would be, but uh, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. And, uh, Enjoyed it. You, if you'll just hang on, I'm going to close this out. <clears throat> Guys, if you, you've you asked for a Western hunting podcast, I got a guy on that, that likes to Western hunt. If you know of more folks who would like to share their Western stories for us deprived Easterners, please uh, tell them to reach out to me. We are setting up podcasts moving through uh, 2018, and I'd love to have more people on the show who who could continue this discussion and, and could, could build on what Adam and I have discussed today. If you enjoyed what you listened, if you enjoyed what you heard, please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes so that folks can uh, help make the decision if this is a podcast that they should subscribe to. Until next time, I'm Walt. Y'all be good and shoot straight.